Welcome to Disney Decipher, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, we take a look at Leslie and Joe's Disney itineraries for a moderate budget, continuing our series of Disney itineraries for budgets of any dollar. Find old episodes of the podcast at DisneyDecipher.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere you find podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. Connect with us anytime, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at WDWDeciphered on Twitter, or connect with us on our Facebook page, Disney Deciphered. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. Welcome back to Disney Deciphered. So, like we did in our last episode, uh, we are going to talk about doing Disney on a budget. Except for this time, instead of the lowest budget, we are going to pick a more moderate budget. We're going to look at what we can do at Disney World for at least four nights for a family of two adults and two kids between the ages three and nine for five thousand dollars. That's going to be our moderate budget. Leslie, uh, can you remind me? Are there any parameters that I'm missing here? So for this exercise, we decided to stay on site again, like we did with budget, just so people get that Disney bubble, that Disney magic. Yeah, let's see if we can we can do it for five thousand. Yeah, and we're definitely going to be referencing back to a lot of the numbers that we used. It was very number heavy. Obviously, when you're on the lowest budget, that's kind of when you know every kind of dollar, every number, every decimal point counts and matters. So we'll be referencing back to that episode quite a bit. Um, this is just the episode right before this. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, we highly suggest you go back, listen to our budget episode, our $3,000 budget episode, and then come back for this $5,000 budget one. Before we get started, though, I wanted to give a shout out and thank you to some of our newest Patreon subscribers from the month of September, Kaz T and Amy C. Thank you so much for your generous pledges. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and receiving bonus content, you can check us out like Kaz and Amy at patreon.com slash Disney Deciphered. There you can also leave us a one-time donation if uh, that works better for you. And of course, please uh, don't give if it puts you in any difficulty financially. Well, thanks so much for supporting us. And Joe, let's now dive into your itinerary. All right. So I did this one a little differently. I realized that like... (laughs) I think maybe we should have gone backwards because when you start with $3,000 and really constrain yourself, all of a sudden having an extra $2,000, like it feels like things really open up. So what I did is I actually came up with two different itineraries that you can kind of pick and choose from depending on what kind of vacation um, you're interested in having. So I'll start with a kind of more basic one first. It's essentially the same itinerary as I did in the budget episode where you stay at Disney for five nights. In fact, I looked at the same week, uh, January 27th, 2020, uh, checking out February 1st. You stay on site at Disney for five nights. You have four day non park hopper tickets. And then I was thinking the same thing. You go to Epcot for a festival of the arts the first night, uh, hit the other three parks, three of the other days, and then you take an off day. Except for the difference here, I kept it on the Skyliner, but this time I had Caribbean Beach Resort, uh, on the Skyliner and that came in around $1,200 for the five nights. So about $400 more than Pop Century was for those dates. So that's what I did for a hotel. What do you do, Leslie? And now that I said this out loud, I bet you when we get to tickets, you went for a park hopper too. I did. I This is revealing my biases, what I chose to do. I went for a five-day park hopper and I chose sort of like in the middle range. Five-day park hopper? Five-day park hopper. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. especially, I mean, it depends on where you're coming from. If you're coming from like where I'm coming from, California, you aren't really going to the parks on your arrival day. Maybe depending upon your flight out, you would go on your departure day. So, you know, this doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but it would work for somebody like you taking a short hop from the Northeast. You'd get, you'd like to definitely spend the better part of a day on an arrival or a departure day. Yeah, that's true. And I should have repeated that uh, the four day non-park hopper was about $1,700. How much are your five-day park hoppers? So my five-day park hoppers were $2,270, give or take. I mean, I sort of chose the middle range of the, not the lowest of the low season prices and not the highest of the high season prices. Yeah, I mean, that adds a lot to the cost, but this is for a family that really values that park time, which again, I says revealing my biases. I want to spend more money on the time in the parks and maybe not necessarily have like the absolute best hotel that I have to have. So, so you still staying at all stars? No, like, <laughs> I, I shouldn't, la- I shouldn't laugh at all stars. I, I have an all-star state book coming up, so I'm not making fun of all stars. I'm just making fun of the concept. Um, go ahead. No, I actually uh, went with a moderate hotel. I went for what I, I was able to find a sort of about the cheapest, but didn't do as well as you. I chose Port Orleans Riverside and for the five nights, it was 1588. Uh, the rack rate was two thirty five a night. Couldn't find any deals for at least for the dates that I was looking at the time. But you can definitely beat that. I mean, it's very possible to find the Port Orleans hotels. I think for un- like around two hundred, if not sometimes occasionally under that. So yeah, I, I, but again, it's not Skyliner. It's not you know, it doesn't have all the the bells and whistles. But I love the Port Orleans hotels. I think those are great. Yeah, I love that hotel too. And, and you know, it's interesting. Quick aside that. I would never have thought about staying at Caribbean Beach before, but now that they have the Skyliner, I guess it is a draw. So it'll be interesting to see if that actually affects supply and demand. But the Port Orleans hotels, uh, both Riverside and French Quarter are great. And, uh, you know, we discussed them way back in an earlier episode and you can check that out if you'd like. So you got the five day park hopper, five nights at Port Orleans Riverside. Where else did you uh, decide to splurge? That was most of the budget right there. <laughs> so I assumed our family liked to ride a lot of rides and uh, spend a lot of time in the parks. And so I revealed my biases of spending a ton of time in the parks. But give us your other itinerary. Are you doing something radically different on that that second itinerary? Kind of. I'm, I'm not even sure what my biases are. And honestly, I came up with these two itineraries because if I knew I was going to spend $5,000 I would definitely be torn between these two itineraries. So the first itinerary, four days in the parks, Caribbean beach, um, kind of normal. But I realized with $5,000, you could actually spring for a deluxe hotel and just spend less time in the park. So I, again, priced out for the dates that I was looking at. You could stay at the beach club for $2,740 um, for the five nights. In fact, I think it was one of the villas. So it has like a you know, small kitchenette or whatever too. So, you know, with the grocery delivery, you can save money there. And then combine that instead of getting a four-day ticket, just getting a three-day ticket, which is around $1,300. After that, you only have $1,000 left. However, you know, the beach club, Stormalong Bay, the pool there, quote unquote pool there, which is it's kind of like a mini water park is enough to, you know, when you have your off day, you can just have fun at Stormalong Bay. You can have fun exploring the hotels and all the stuff to see on the boardwalk at Crescent Lake. Um, and so, you know, it's a more relaxed, less park heavy type vacation, but you're staying in a nicer resort and you get to take it easy, um, which I know we don't often do on this podcast, but I think might appeal to, um, you know, a certain subset of our listeners. 
No, I totally agree. That's absolutely the opposite of, of how I roll at Disney World, but that that has a lot of appeal for a lot of different kinds of families. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of like the second idea that I had. But then after that, you know, we're kind of getting back into, you know, how much are you spending for food and how much you're spending on souvenirs. Leslie, you are on record saying that your kids can just not have souvenirs so that you can uh, save that extra money for the budget. Now that you have a moderate budget, you know, will you or will you not allow your children to buy souvenirs? I doubled the the budget for souvenirs. So I gave $10 now. (laughs) I gave a hundred dollars for souvenirs in this moderate budget. So 50 bucks a kid, or, you know, like that gets you a couple of good items at the gift shop. I mean, you know, I'm not a complete Scrooge. You're actually, you're actually teaching them the value of uh, not being overly consumerist. So, you know, and re- reducing the amount of waste in your house, which my wife always complains about. Every time I go, she's like, don't bring any more stuffed animals. We have too many. Yeah, that's fair. Value experiences, not things. Indeed. Yeah. So the way I think about souvenirs is I'm very similar, you know, even though I keep making fun of you. Really, to me, it's like whatever money you have left over at the end is uh, for souvenirs. And let's just take the beach club itinerary, you know, with a thousand dollars, you can eat comfortably for five days for $900. Um, and then, you know, you'll have a hundred dollars left for souvenirs, but like you, I'd rather, um, value the experiences and even the eating. I mean, then just save the money for souvenirs at the end. So did you have a, a line item for that total built in? Uh, yeah, I did actually. So, you know what I did this time. So last time, um, for the super budget, you know, I said, you know, go to Cape May Cafe for a character breakfast. That's $150. Um, go to the Epcot Festival of the Arts and enjoy that one night for $75. So, you know, I still have Cape May Cafe on my itinerary for $150. I increased the Festival of the Arts budget to $100. And then, you know, I kind of started thinking about quick service meals. I thought of them for budget minded as around $40 per quick service meal, but I forgot to say this last episode, but essentially if you're on a budget, you can just forget about drinking alcohol. But once you're on a moderate budget, you can start drinking alcohol again if that's your thing. And so I upped the quick service budget to about $50 per quick service meal. And I want to throw in Crystal Palace because I really love that character meal. And so that's another $200 there. And still doing the buying your groceries for about for breakfast for about $50 from Instacart. So it's $50 for Instacart, $125 for the Festival of the Arts, 150 for Cape May Cafe, 200 for Crystal Palace, and then about $300 for all your quick service meals. So about $825 for food, give or take. I'm happy with that. What do you think you would spend your food on? Or are there any experiences that you'd be uh, willing to splurge on now that you have more money for food? Yeah, so interesting to see that we came out basically at the same place. I budgeted $175 per day. That comes out to $875. So I was only $50 off from where you were. And again, I was sort of thinking the same thing. I was thinking with that extra $75 per day over the $100 per day I had at the budget level, you know, you could be adding on the sodas. You could be eating out one breakfast. You could have a character meal. You could have a couple of table service meals instead of quick service for dinner. So, you know, I was sort of thinking of that a little bit more fluidly than you were not necessarily planning out each meal, but uh, yeah, I think it's entirely possible to, you know, and have a beer or two, which is, uh, I know a lot of people enjoy and including myself. (laughs) So yeah, I think that's, that's about the right number where, you know, you're not going to be splurging and getting like table service, three course, and you're certainly not going to Victoria and Albert's, but you can, 
not feel like you're totally roughing it at Casey's Corner for every meal? One of the things, once you have a moderate budget, is when we were on the tight budget, we were kind of like just stick to Disney transportation no matter what. But once you're on a moderate budget, you know, you have more money to play with. And so you can choose convenience over cost. So what did you kind of allocate for transportation in your moderate budget? Yeah, I just threw in an extra 50 bucks for transportation in my moderate budget because I assumed there was going to be a couple of instances, maybe three times during that week where the family might want to hop in an Uber and take a more direct form of transportation, like maybe go to a different hotel for a character meal or something like that. So I just like, or, you know, it's just like the buses are really backed up and you just need to get to where you're, where you're going and it's worth it to you for that Uber. So I did throw in that 50 bucks because that will get you, I think about three-ish rides. Most rides are under, you know, certainly under 20 bucks, maybe, maybe a few more depending upon the length of, of the rides. So I, I did, I did give the family that, that little bit of transportation flexibility because Disney transit can be frustrating on occasion. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, I think having that option, it's just less stress, you know, obviously at the busiest times, there's going to be surge pricing and you don't have to worry about all that, but just knowing that you have an second option besides just Disney transportation. I mean, imagine if, you know, I know that I've locked myself to the Skyliner mostly for most of these trips, but you know, what if uh, the wind is blowing like crazy one day and they shut down the Skyliner or something's going on, you know, all of a sudden you're relying on the buses and that can add stress to your trip. So, you know, having that extra money in the budget, I allocated like a hundred dollars for it in my Caribbean beach version in the beach club version, essentially because you're staying at the beach club, you have to go super tight on your budget for everything else again. But, um, in the Caribbean beach version, you know, I allocated, you know, like a hundred dollars for transportation or whatever, because it can just uh, make things easier. Yeah, fair enough. And one more thing I should throw in, cause I didn't mention this when we were talking about meals. I also allocated a grocery budget, the same hundred dollars I did for our budget trip version. So yeah, plenty of room for groceries in my budget. Uh, in addition to the Ubers. Sounds good. So the other thing that you can kind of do with a moderate budget is you can look at experiences that are outside of the Disney parks themselves. Um, so, you know, if you don't want to spend money on souvenirs or, you know, if you don't want to upgrade to, to that extra character meal, but you find that you have a little money in your budget, you know, you can think about doing these things that are in the Disney bubble-ish, but aren't like in the parks. So one thing I looked up was the void. They have a Star Wars VR experience and also a Ralph Breaks the Internet VR experience. I hear they're both really good. I still haven't got a chance to check them out. I think the cheapest they can go after tax is around $40, but you know, uh, since we're on a bigger budget, I'll just round up to $50. So for your family, it's like a $200 experience. Supposedly, it's like a lot of fun. I'm not sure actually if there's an age limit or it's good for younger kids. Uh, I assume the Ralph Breaks the Internet one is more based for that. But, you know, if your kids can do it, you know, I think that's a great experience to have as a family and a lot of fun. I hear it's really cool. So, you know, you can kind of kind of allocate an extra $200 there for that. What did you look up? I know you looked up um, another thing, Leslie. Yeah, I looked up Splitsville, which is the bowling alley in Disney Springs. Um, it's not as expensive as the void. So if you're playing with a little bit less money in your budget, the the they actually have a deal for from opening until 4 p.m., it's $18 per person, but then it's the rest of the time, it's $22 per person. So you're looking at between $72 to $88 for a family of four. And they do have food there too. A lot of the food's actually really good. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's something that you could add in if you're going to sort of, you know, take away from maybe the souvenirs or like one of the splurge meals or something like that. Yeah, you've told me about that place before. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I just need my kids to be uh, strong enough to hold bowling balls. 
before we can try that out. Yeah, otherwise it's a little bit dangerous. <laughs> no broken toes. Yeah, I think those are our general things. Did you have anything else, Leslie? I think we covered it all. In the end, you know, with my Caribbean beach itinerary, I really didn't get much past $4,000. Um, and so you could always save that $1,000 for your next vacation or go crazy and go to like four more character meals. You know, I, I was considering um, putting the sci-fi drive-in at Hollywood Studios because I really like that restaurant in. Like that'll cost you about $100 for the four of you to eat some burgers. But, you know, it's it's nice to have more money to play with, of course. Um, but, you know, I think in the end, now that I'm saying it, like if I was going to spend, if I knew I was going to spend $5,000, I think I would spring for that beach club itinerary and just spend that pool day. Because I know that I'm going to spend $5,000, I'm like, okay, spending the $2,700 on the beach club because I know I'm going to spend $5,000 anyway. It's weird because like if I'm building from scratch and I haven't set a budget for myself, $2,700 sounds like a lot for me. But once I know that I'm spending the $5,000 no matter what, then I might as well splurge for it. And I don't mind taking a day from the parks. Um, the water parks seem fun. And you know the kids are always happy in the pool. Totally agree. Well, I, I came out to right at uh... Five thousand. I was four thousand nine hundred and eighty-three dollars. So, you know, I think by springing for that extra day of park ticket, that's really where most of my budget went. But again, um, that's what I value. Yeah. So, I mean, quick question for you: since you love the park hopper, like, how would you suggest it be utilized on the trip? Like, are you um, morning park, napping, afternoon park, or you know, what would your general strategy be? Yeah, we don't hop every day, but it's worth it to me to have that flexibility, especially, you know, to to deal with the weather. Like sometimes, you know, if it's thunderstorms, there are parks that are better than others to be in. Like I don't want to be at Animal Kingdom walking around like that giant acreage with everything mostly outside um, on a rainy day. So, you know, that gives us that flexibility. But we usually do rope drop in the morning and we take we often take an afternoon break back at the hotel, like swim or just have a rest in the room. And then we'll go somewhere to a different park for dinner. And we're big, we're big Epcot eaters. That's our, like our favorite place to eat dinner. So we want to have that flexibility to head to Epcot in the evenings. Awesome. All right. So that about does it for our moderate budget episode. If you have things that you like to splurge on that aren't like a crazy amount of money, because we're not at the high budget yet, um, which I think that's going to be pretty interesting, Leslie, when we finally get there. You know, please contact us, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at www.deciphered on Twitter, or you can leave us a message on our Facebook page, DisneyDeciphered. Before we get out of here, I want to share sort of a Disney do. It is a comment shared with us by listener Joe H. Thank you so much for writing in. He was listening to our Frontierland episode a month or two ago, and he had a great tip about Pecos Bills, the quick service restaurant that we talked about in Frontierland. He said he's not sure if they still do this, but two years ago when I went with my family and some friends, we went there, and if you tell one of the workers at the restaurant that you want the secret menu item, then you'll be surprised. They started to ring a bell and bring out pitchers of sweet tea and lemonade and sit you down. Then they set your table up with cool metal cups and old Western themed props for your table and bring out a huge nacho grande that could feed 10 at the most. It's a super fun experience and I recommend it with a large party. Unfortunately, we've read that the secret nacho item no longer exists, which is a real shame. And, you know, Leslie, we should really get a Disney Deciphered Unfiltered episode recorded about uh, how Disney keeps cutting stuff. But I want to keep this as our Disney do because 
we really want to say Disney do share your Disney do's and don'ts with us. We can only get to the park so many times and we really appreciate everyone who's written in with tips and tricks. And, you know, we'd love to share them and get them on the podcast episodes. So uh, thank you so much again, Joe H. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist. However, I would also say Disney do be on the lookout for little things like this because you never kind of know what kind of magic will happen. You know, way back when, Leslie, when we talked about I forgot the term we used before, but uh, like entertainment dining, like when we talked about Hoopty Doo Review and Skipper Canteen and uh, Whispering Canyon, I talked about how they give me a huge soda, like a gigantic, like one liter soda. Well, apparently sometimes they give tiny, tiny sodas in like tiny cups. Um, so, you know, this stuff happens at Disney World all the time still now. And so keep an eye out for that. Oh, that's a real shame about the nachos, but definitely there's always a little magic and when you least expect it. All right. So that does it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're not sure, you know, we may continue the series next week, but Leslie and I will be in Disney World um, before the next episode releases or actually when the next episode releases. And so we may have updates from there. So stay tuned. Other than that, thank you so much, Leslie. And I will see you in Disney World right now because we are there. Thanks, Joe. 